Dear congregation, the text for this sermon is taken from the book of Ruth, Ruth 2, chapter, Ruth chapter 2, verse 12, where we hear the word of God, and Boaz is speaking here. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel under whose wings thou art come to trust. We see in this first uh, reward of the faithful servant. And first of all, we see what it means to serve the Lord. And secondly, that it comes with loving others, loving others. And thirdly, what it means to receive the reward. So first, serving the Lord. Secondly, loving others. And thirdly, receiving the reward. Well, how do I serve the Lord? It's a biblical command to serve the Lord. It says in Joshua 24, verse 14, now, therefore, fear ye the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and truth. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood in Egypt. And serve ye the Lord. So it's even for two times in that verse. It's a biblical command to serve the Lord. But what does that mean? How do you do that? I think that you will give the same answer as my catechism class. They said, well, to serve the Lord, you pray. Or you go to church. Or you read the Bible. Or you visit catechism. And we come up with a whole list of answers that are most of the time, good answers. But is that the way to serve the Lord? Is that everything? In our scripture, we have a biblical picture of what it means to serve the Lord. It's all about Ruth. And Ruth, when we follow her steps, and we should start then in chapter 1, we know about her history. I'm not going to, to unfold that right here. I think you're familiar with the history of the book of Ruth. But what's very remarkable is what is happening at chapter 1. That Ruth makes her choice. We see that in chapter 1, verse 15. And she said, Behold thy sister-in-law, that's Naomi, that's talking to her. She said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back into her people and into her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Wherever thou diest, I will die. And where thou, where, and there were, 
and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and part more also, if aught but death part thee and me. Ruth's choice. Ruth's choice. It involves and involves radical choices. And it's even today. To serve the Lord means to make radical choices. Choices that go back to your heart. The choice of, Ru of Ruth involved the people around her. It involved the gods, the idols, that where we put our trust in. It involved location. And even for you today, that this can be the same truth, that you know that you're surrounded by people who do not serve the Lord, and it will bring you on bad ways and wicked paths. It requires a radical choice. What are the people we used to go along with? It also requires a radical change about the gods. Where do I put my trust in? It can be that you're surrounded by people or maybe technology that can give you a, give you a lot of advice, a lot of good things. But as long as it is not the God of heaven and earth, those are idols. It can even has to do with location. That the place you're in is not a godly environment. And to serve the Lord means a radical change. And that it's time to make a change on where you live or where you work, or where you're heading for, the places you like or dislike, a radical change in people, in God's and in location. And did you see, did you hear what Ruth said? It's wonderful what she said in verse 16. Her heart prefers something else. Where thou goest, I will go. It refers to a place, the direction of life that's traveling. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Where I sleep, where I stay, that, that's the house. Thy people shall be my people. That's the people that, her, that surround her and that will surround her in the future. And even God, that thy God is my God. There's an inclination. It's, it's a direction. The serving the Lord means that our ways do, sorry, do have this direction from a place to a place to stay, to people that surround us, yeah, to serve the God. And it's not just for a moment, it's not just for a day, but verse 17 said, where thou diest, I will die. So that means even to the end, from now henceforth, I will serve the Lord. From now on till evermore, may there never be a time again that I will lodge with people who do not serve thee, that I am surrounded by people who are not thy covenant people, 
that I am that I'm moved away from God. No, let me be. Let this the desire of our hearts be to be like Ruth, to be with God, with the Lord. Yes, serving means a radical choice, a radical obedience. It means to honor God. It means full dedication from our hearts. Yeah, you wonder, well, I wish I would be like Ruth, because it sounds so easy. She was at the border. She only had to follow Naomi. How, how can I do that? How can I really get this new life? How can I really, really follow the deep desire of my heart to not longer dwell with Satan, but to be with the Lord, to live with him? How can I do that? Well, it's only possible, dear congregation, when our hearts are renewed, that there is a sincere love for God. Because by nature, we are haters of God. We are maybe willing to serve him like prayer. We may be willing to pray. We are maybe willing to read the Bible. We are maybe even willing to go to church. But still, our hearts can, be, can remain unwilling and disobedient. So, the problem is not just my thoughts on it. The problem is where my heart longs for, the desires, the longing from inside. And so now she comes here at the border. She comes here at a decisive point. And what makes her to follow Naomi instead of her sister-in-law? Why does she not go back? But why does she follow Naomi? Well, like I said, it's, it's about her heart. Yes, but there's more. There's more. She has seen that there is a better life. She has seen what the faith, what is trusting in God really means. She has seen the quality of the life of the people of God. That they love God, that they love people. She has seen the fruits, the fruits of others, and even how she trusted others. And what an encouraging word is this. Because sometimes words can fail. And sometimes we can wonder of even our children, our children from our congregation, do really see, do really hear, I mean, what the value is of serving the Lord. And when our words fail, our examples can be of way more value that they will see that those who are on the verge on a very decisive point in their lives that they will see that there is a better life on this earth than the life in, of television and so she clings to her mother-in-law she clings to her and her request is nothing more like this please adopt me because there's only one way 
She had, she had really nothing to offer. What could she bring with her? She was mourning her husband. There was no future for her because she did, no, she did no longer want to be there with that ungodly people, with Moab. There's only one option, and it is to offer my life. That's all I can give. Lord, I've lost it all. There's no lust, there's no pleasure anymore in this world. But I'm, I'm without thee. How, how can I get the faith? How can I be a real believer? How can I be like Ruth? Well, when you have nothing left to offer, and just your very, very soul, your very body, that's all what Ruth does. She clings to her mother-in-law. Please adopt me. Take me with you as your child. So our moments at the border, what makes us to decide? What side do you serve? Are you on the side of Moab? Or are you on the side of Israel? Would you follow the idols of this world? Or do you follow the living God of heaven and earth? To what do you give your life? How will it end up? What will your future be? It depends on choices that you make in life. If you choose to live like Orpah, with the idols of this world, with the people of this world, in this world, then will your end be with the destruction of this world? It's despair, total loss, nothing to gain. But those that cling, like Ruth, to their Lord, to the only living God, and choose to walk in His ways, those are the ones that will be saved and will have a dwelling forever. They will go where the Lord goes. They will lodge where He lodge. The Lord's people shall be your people, and in Christ He shall be your Lord. So we need to, ver to understand here that Ruth did not desire anything, not, 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 not deserve anything. Her faith does not deserve anything. Her, what she said did not deserve anything. It was grace that was given to her. It was pure grace. And when we put it in words of the Heidelberg Catechism, it's Christ, or in New Testament words, it's Christ that has done it all. So we have nothing to offer, and we have nothing to bring. And let that be good news to you. And therefore we can come with empty hands, maybe with a past that we have spoiled, that time spoiled, gifts spoiled, our lives, maybe our very bodies given to unholy practices. But when you've lost it all, look at Ruth, what she did. She clung to her mother-in-law. She did not deserve it, but it's faith that makes you cling to God alone. Serving the Lord. It's more than just praying. It's more than just 
going to church. It's more than just read your Bible, pray every day. It's a full, heartfelt dedication, the love to live for Christ and speak good of his name. Serving the Lord, our first thought. Our second thought is loving others. Because what follows is remarkable. We do not know the full history of Ruth, but what is written in the Word of God really stands out about Ruth. She is a hard worker. And she does not want to disappoint her mother-in-law. And what she's, what she's doing, she's starting to, to, to glean the leftovers. So when the reapers' children were on the field, they, they left a few pieces of the land that was for the poor. And you were allowed, if you were poor, to take that from the fields. You didn't have to ask. But you could go. It was for you. But she has done way more than only gleaning the leftovers. Because her life was filled with love for others. And love is the very defining factor in the kingdom of God. If there's no love for others, you really can doubt your salvation. Because we will be made Christ-like, and he is the one who loves at the best. And so, Ruth, as a child of God, she has love for all the people around her. Even so that Boaz has heard of her. We can read it in verses 8 to 10. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by the maidens. Let an ice be on the field that they do reap, and go after them. Have I not charged the young man that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go into the vessels and drink of that which the young man have drawn. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thy eyes that thou should take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? So while Boaz have heard of her, I think in the village of Bethlehem, they must have said to one another, Did you hear about that, that lady from Moab? Have you seen her, how she, is, how she has been treating her mother-in-law? Have you heard about her love? Have you seen working her? They were talking about her. And but what does she say about herself? Well, I'm here, yes. <laughs> I can't imagine that you heard all the good things about me. No, she, she does not do that. It's the opposite. She humbles herself. Why? Why do you speak so kindly to me? I'm a stranger here. I do not belong to your people. I'm a stranger. But was she? Was she really a stranger? Wasn't she, in fact, an adopted child by her mother-in-law, by Naomi? But what she confesses here is that it was so undeserved. And when we trace back the history of the Moabites, Moab was a son born of Lot in the Old Testament, born of incest. They were not allowed 
to participate into 10 generations within the, the people of Israel. It's so undeserved. And that's what grace evokes in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, it's so undeserved. I am a stranger. That makes us repeat the song of McChain over and over. I once was a stranger of grace. Because Ruth here, while she was within the people of Israel, I am a stranger. A stranger to God and to grace, but adopted into the family of the people of God. And that makes her so humble. <coughs> Sorry. And despite that, she humbles herself. And despite that she was a, a, stra a stranger, she still does something that really stands out and people came to know it. And it testifies of something way more than it's not just her heart that was changed, but also her life was changed. The good order of Christ, and I say it now in New Testamentic terms, words, wordings, the good order of Christ was on her. We see, for example, in verse 12, the Lord fully recompense thy work and a full reward may be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. And we also see it in chapter 3, verse 11. And now, my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. So it's not just her heart that changed. Her whole life changed. What she did changed. And how the Lord will, will reward it to her. And how did the Lord reward that to her? She got protection and food from Boaz. She makes others see the goodness of the Lord. And when we come to the end of the book of Ruth, we see that she, re she receives a son. She calls his name Obed, which means remarkably servant. And that son Obed became the father of Jesse, the father of David. And her reward stretched way further. Because she was taken into the lineage of David. She was also taken in the lineage of Christ. So it makes us bring to our third point, receiving the reward. Because what do we see in this picture, in this biblical picture of serving the Lord, Ruth, who was saved by grace. We see that it's not a change of the heart, but it's also a change 
of the life. It was saved by grace and doing good. Inseparable, but not the same. And that brings us to our Lord's Day 24. Because in our Lord's Day 24, we also do see the works and salvation. Why cannot our good works be the whole part of our righteousness before God? Because the righteousness that can be approved before the tribunal of God must be absolutely perfect. And in all respects conformable, like the same form, uh, to the divine law. And also that our best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin. Good works did not make Ruth an inhabitant of Israel. Good works did not make Ruth an inhabitant of Israel. She had not to prove that she was worthy to be an inhabitant, to be one of the people of God. She was saved by grace. And this is true for every Christian. We do not have to prove ourselves before we can receive by God. We are saved by grace, through grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And we do good works. Well, there is a heresy in the church, it has been a heresy, maybe it's still there today, which is called neonomianism. Maybe if you're about, about the word antinomianism, but there's also neonomianism. And it means like this, this says, well, God has forgiven us our sins, and that removes the debt. But to, to gain favor of God, we do not only have to, our debt to remove. We need to do good works that makes us pleasant in the sight of God. So without, they say, without the good works, you can't be saved, although Christ has paid the debt. That's a heresy. Because our catechism clearly teaches that our good works cannot be a part of our righteousness before God. Ruth did not earn salvation by doing her good works. We can't pay anything with good works. They're invaluable money. But why should we do good works then? Do they merit in any sense? Question 63. Yes, there is a reward. But that's not merit, but that is grace. We receive a reward for good works, and that is pure grace. And it's not something like a computer. You put something in, and you know what's coming out. It's grace. God will recompense those works in the way he prefers to do it. 
So what will the reward be then? What is the reward that God gives today when we do good works? Well, the first thing is the reward for every Christian is to be one with Christ. To be one with Christ. And what else? What is greater and mightier and more beautiful than Christ? The second thing he will give, and when we speak with the language of our Heidelberg Catechism, the Lord gives comfort in life and death. He will never see his children forsaken. His comfort in life and death that means that there's no longer hatred toward God and that God is no longer angry about our sins because our sins are forgiven and we are set free. And that's a reward that we can trust it to our Lord and Savior. We shall receive, says Colossians 3, the reward of inheritance for ye serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Number four, Matthew 6 recalls that our alms will be rewarded. That what we give, the Lord will reward it openly, what we give in secret. And that stands in contrast that the Lord will punish those who strive for honor. For honor. So if we do something to show off, to let others see how good we are, the Lord will punish it. But if we do our things and our serving in secret, like Ruth did, do your task, do what's ahead of you without looking for honor, the, the Lord will reward it openly because we all know now what Ruth did. And we all know now that she was in the lineage of David. The Lord gives us a reward, the desire to serve him. It's a reward that we feel love for God, that we feel love for his people, that we really want to serve him and dedicate our lives to him. 6, 1 Peter 3 says, that when there, then when there will be people who speak evil of you as evildoers, May they be ashamed that falsely accuse you. It's a reward that the Lord will defend his people. And even when they come to a point where they falsely accuse us, that the Lord will make them know what our good relation with Christ is. And seven, for Paul. The reward was to preach the gospel without charge. Or to say it in other words, to live for the glory of God. What a reward. The reward, so to say when we want to summarize it in just one sentence, that's the full experience of the goodness of God. That we always speak good of his name, for he is 
good. And for the people of God, for you, child of God, it's even impossible not to do good works. Question 64. The answer says, by no means, for it is impossible that those who are implanted into Christ by a true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. And when we look at Ruth again, we see she did not deserve anything by doing her good works. That she was in Israel was pure grace. But what happened afterwards, how she worked, how she labored, what she did for her mother-in-law, and what she received of that, that's a reward for those who labor in the kingdom of God as God's people. So our Heidelberg Catechism says it's impossible not to do God good works. So you only can do good works. But when we look at Galatians 6 and we read a passage, we see one other aspect. It's not only impossible not to do good works, but it's also necessary to prove our faith to others. Galatians 6 verse 9 and 10. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. It's remarkable here the connection with the reaping. It's like sowing, and that's, that's an image here in verse 8. You see it again. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth of the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of God. So good works are a biblical demand. And why? Well, not because of the, not because of the reward. It's not like striving for the reward, but it's necessary. Why did Ruth make her choice? Because she had seen that there is a better life. Why did she follow Naomi? Because she had seen her good works. So good works are necessary in evangelizing to others. Good works are also, secondly, the fruit of the new birth. It's impossible that there are no good works. And, well, maybe you say, if I go over my life and I look for good works, I only found stinking fruit. I think there's no good works in my life. Well, sometimes others see it better. And we can look under the leaves and find all rotten flesh instead of good, fresh fruit. But may the Lord grant your eyes to see that what's ahead of us, it's not in the great things, it's in the love toward others. And pray that Christ's image may be stamped deep on your heart to do what he did, to follow his footsteps, to make choices, maybe radical choices, 
It will enable you to be among men of the household of God to which you can minister. So good works are necessary, a fruit of new birth, but thirdly, do not attain, do not add to our salvation. And again, all, if Ruth had done hundreds of good works while she was in Moab, that did not bring her into the land of Israel. She was adopted. It was pure grace that she came there. So our works do not attain to our salvation. So when we end this reflection on the reward of the faithful servant, we started with the question, what does it mean? How, how do I serve the Lord? Do you, dear brother and sister, do you serve the Lord? What are you striving for in your life? Is that the deep, is there the deep desire? Maybe to be like others because you see their fruit and say, well, I want to be like him. Well, we can change ourselves. We can change our hearts. But may the Lord then give you the heart and the full dedication to live for him and serve him. Well, how do I get that? Well, he gives it to sinners. He gives that to beggars. He gives that to those who do feel their needs, that they are without Christ that they are lost without him. So come therefore to him and ask of him that he may grant his spirit to you and renew your heart that there may be this deep desire. I'm not worthy, unworthy, saved by grace, but may you be in the vineyard of God, a fruit for his glory. Amen.